It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Our guest today is CEO Oscar Zapata. Oscar is an avid entrepreneur and chief executive officer of the Shots brands of companies, including Shots Miami, Shots Orlando, Shots Labs, and Shots Franchising. He obtained a bachelor's degree in computer engineering and his master's degree in business administration with an emphasis in entrepreneurship, both from Florida International University. He has an 11-year-old daughter named Mia and a beautiful wife named Marcella, and not with his family, Oscar is growing the Shots brand. Oscar Zabata, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. It's awesome to be here with you. Let's start with the early years. Tell us a little bit about what those were like. Where did you grow up? You know, what kind of a family? What part of the country? Well, I mean, I was born in Miami, Miami, Florida. Um, my mother is Cuban. My father is Colombian. Wow. Yeah. So I kind of had a, I guess in my early years, I would say a, an identity crisis. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was definitely interesting. Miami is a um, very uh, mishmash. Uh, melting pot. Of, it's a melting pot of all kinds of cultures. Right. And people from here, you know, they're, 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 they identify a lot with their, with their national heritage with their or their parents. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I always, you know, I was from the United States because I was born here, you know, but my mother was Cuban, my father's Colombian. I didn't know where I was from. <laughs> Did they, were they both immigrants? Did they come uh, in their adult years or were they uh, come here as children? No, they both came very young. Yeah, yeah, terrific. So kind of grew up in two different cultures, one one yeah. leg in one side and one another. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure the Cuban food part of it was a was a welcome one, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that <laughs> as we get further down your career path. Mom and dad worked as well. What was their background? Oh, yeah, uh, always very entrepreneurial, both of yeah. them. They always yeah. had their own businesses, always starting new businesses. Yeah, it's kind of what I saw growing up. Yeah. Always. What, what kind of work were they in? What kind of businesses did they run? You know, they, they did, they did things, all kinds of things. I know they had a, a handbag store. Um, and then I know that they had like a cleaning store, uh, like a company that cleaned. I know that they had, um, they own, uh, eventually they ended up investing in, uh, different real estate, uh, portfolios. Mm. Uh, but they also had like a snack and novelty distribution company. They had a mortgage company. Uh, a real estate company. Wow. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wide array of things that they would do. <laughs> and did you get involved in any of those businesses growing up? Sure. Sure. I yeah. remember working in, 
you know, when my father would, would uh, buy a house, he would buy and sell houses, you know, he'd buy houses that were run down, right. we would go and flip repair them. them. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. flip them. Uh, and, and then we would do it on commercial properties as well. I would help him do that as well. And you, you did what, some of the repair and fix-up work? Or did yeah. you get involved? Yeah, yeah right. a lot of the, the, painting lot of the and hands-on the... stuff. <laughs> yeah, It's good, healthy. And brothers and sisters, how big a family were you brought up in? I have an older sister. Her name is Monica. Uh, yeah, she's actually nine years older than me. And she, um, she actually helps me tremendously uh, with shots, with, with our franchise. Ah. Right. Yeah, she actually, she's our VP of franchising, so she runs all the sales. Great. Have your careers intertwined? In other words, uh, were you and her involved in earlier businesses, or has it just been recently that uh, she's been working with you on shots? We've worked together before, and we yeah. actually work really well together. That's great. Because uh, that's a big a- age gap. You know, a big age gap. Oh, yeah. Because by the time you were nine or 10, she was probably already ready to leave the home or perhaps on her way at that time. Yeah, but my my sister's a special special yeah. person. You know, we've always been very very close. That's great, cool. Uh, and we've worked together in all kinds of things. You know, from the real estate projects to some of the property management projects, uh, on on the um, the casino project as well, and now on this on franchising. And and all all the time in Miami, kind of same home, same neighborhood. Did mom and dad move around a little bit? What was kind of your early years like? We grew up in in a, an area called Kendall here mm-hmm. in Miami. Yep, know it well. All right, so uh, so yeah, we grew up there, and then later on, everybody moved down to Homestead. And when I ended up opening shots in Wynwood, I moved over to the Edgewater area, and I've been here for a few years. Going to school and so forth, kind of same, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, all in the same area. Public schools yeah. or private schools? What what were your uh... I went to public school until I got to eighth grade. That's when I went to private school. And you went to private school. Got it. And were you a good student? <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, academically, I was a really good student. I, I got really good grades, but um, I was not a great, uh, I, I was not, I didn't behave very well. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, obviously, always those things. But So let's talk a little bit about some of the things you did outside of class. Uh, it sounds like working with mom and dad on their various projects were a part of it. Were there other jobs that you held that were outside the family businesses? Uh, yeah. Um, I remember I started a, a car wash with a cousin of mine. Ah. Uh, that one, that one, we did pretty good for ourselves considering we were, we were like 11 years old. I was going to say <laughs> you were young. Oh, that's great. Was that like in front of the house or did you, uh, yeah. you know, have a little, uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah. We wanted to buy go-karts and nobody would get them <laughs> for us. So. Right. Good for you. <laughs> and did you earn enough to do that? Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we wanted one. We ended up getting two. Nice. And where did you, uh, did you race them or did you have a, a course that you'd go in those go-karts? Oh, where did man. you take them? We used to, <laughs> we used to run amok all around the neighborhood. <laughs> we, uh, we lived like in a cul-de-sac, uh, back then. So, you know, there was a lot of houses, a lot of areas under construction. We used to ride on all the little hills and rock piles and everything. Make times. Yeah, it was fun. That's great. And what about other activities? Any sports or music, creative things? What what kind of things uh, did you pursue outside of um, outside of school? I'm kind of like a, a frustrated uh, musician. I, I love music, ah. but I'm, I'm terrible at it. I can't even dance. Um, but uh, but sports, I was always an athlete. Yeah, I was a big soccer. Wrestler. Or- 
Wrestling. What, wrestling. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I wrestled in high school as well. It's a great sport. You've got to be very fit for us wrestling. Yeah, you got to be in a in good uh, physical condition. Yeah, absolutely. Did you do some competitions or mostly just high school meets and so forth? How, how far did you take that? Uh, I took it pretty far. Um, no? I would wrestle all year round. I would wrestle for, uh, freestyle, folk style, Greco-Roman. Awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. Win any championships or go to state, nationals, anything like that? I did. I did. I never, uh, I never took the state title. I took five fourth it was wow. in state twice cool. that's hot uh, yeah. i was i was better in freestyle than i was in in folk style. i was more of a of a technician i guess and uh so obviously did a little travel for that did you go to different state locations for competitions and so forth with wrestling how did that play oh, yeah. out yeah 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 i also did a little a uh, little international competition oh really where where did you go and do that um guatemala uh-huh uh, that was one that we did uh we did one in argentina and those were really fun. I remember, I remember there was a competition in Guatemala that uh, I I was able to to you know because since my father is Colombian, I was able right. to represent Colombia. Ah, so cool! That's I great. beat I beat the Colombian guy, right? <laughs> so I I won the I won the spot. But um, that you know over there they they wrestle over here we wrestle for fun. Over there they kind of wrestle for for life. Yeah. So um. Yeah, that, that that got pretty complicated pretty quickly. So. <laughs> I can imagine. I can Needless imagine. to say, I, I did not end up uh, representing Colombia. Yeah, the international circuit kind of uh, slowed down after that. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's pr- pretty much more a way of life. Well, I, I you know obviously with both the Cuban and the Colombian uh, background, did, did did you grow up speaking Spanish in the home, or were you a bilingual home? How did your parents raise you? Yeah, man, in the home we learned Spanish first. Yeah, good. We we learned English in school. Right. Right. But always speaking Spanish at home or did, you know, it was one of those families where parents spoke to you in Spanish and replied in English because you were being a rebellious teenager or something, or did you pretty much keep it Spanish at home all the time? Responding in in English was not allowed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You try that once or twice, right? That doesn't work. (laughs) I used to tell my mother, you know, I have to think when I respond in Spanish and she's like, well, think then. Then think then. (laughs) (laughs) No, no exception to that. Cool. So back to high or about up to high school then, um, any work again, uh, that was outside, uh, you know, kind of the parents' business. Did you, you know, do any kind of fast food work or was there any stuff that you did to, you know, support your, uh, your spending money or, or was it pretty much involved with, with parents' business at that time? You, you know, it's, that's a very interesting question because all my life for as, as much as I would see my parents launch their own businesses and, and be successful at it, uh, they would always tell me that I just had to go to school, get an education, you know, get, carve out a career, work with a big company. That, that was the, that was what I was told but that's not what I was shown. So I was not, uh, during those years, I was not allowed to work in the family really? businesses and I was not really? allowed to have a job or anything like that. Wow, wow. So they really kept you focused. Wow, yeah. good. My good. job was to get good grades and God forbid you brought home a bad grade. <laughs> yeah, that would be a night when Spanish was definitely spoken. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mom and dad, were they degreed? Did they uh, complete their education at, at the college level, high school? What was their educational background? I, I know they have their high school. I know I know they have some college, but I I don't know how far they got. To be honest yeah, with you, got it. So did did your sister complete her undergraduate and and or master's degree, or were you the first in your family to to go on to college? 
my sister did also some college. She ended up getting a like a vocational degree in, in MRI, and she's she's actually really great at it, or she was when she was practicing it. Right. Um, but no, I think I was the first one in the house to get cool. my like my degree, like that kind yeah. of degree at least. Awesome. No, no, no uh, younger brothers and sisters, just the two of you. Yeah, just us two. You chose engineering to go into uh, studies in college. Did you have a, a, an inkling for that? Was that an area that you kind of enjoyed, math and science? Tell us a little bit about that choice. Okay, that's also a good question. Um, I always was good at math and science. I, I always excelled at math and science. It was kind of easy for me. Um, and when I was deciding what I wanted to study in college, I based my decision off something somebody told me. Uh, when I was in high school, and they said that in the future there was going to be um, a shortage of engineers, and that the the position was going to pay very well. And I figured, well, you know, engineering sounds like something challenging and difficult, so I, I chose that for whatever reason. Uh, and it was it was actually really interesting. Uh, get becoming like uh, getting my degree was was really interesting. I mean, the the concepts and the way things work, you know, on a, especially like on a quantum level, when you get to that kind of physics and stuff, it's it's very interesting. Now you chose electrical. Uh, was computer. There, uh, okay, got it. So that was your inkling. Wanted to kind of get closer to the computer development rather than mechanical engineering, for example. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. And uh, did you do your master's back to back? In other words, did you go straight on, or was there some work experience after you got your undergrad? No. No. I actually. Um, when I graduated, I got a job right out of college uh, working for Motorola. Oh, got it. Okay. So um, I did that for a while. Yeah. What did you do for them? What was your first job there? For Motorola, I actually moved to Texas. I was living in, um, in a city called San Marcos, Texas, and mm -hmm. the plant was in Seguin, Texas, about maybe 10 minutes away from where I was living. It's like halfway between Austin and, and uh, San Antonio, I guess. Right. Um, a lot of people don't know about Motorola, but they most of their revenue comes from the the automotive and the the manufacturing segment. Oh, I didn't so, know that either. Yeah, yeah. Most people think of Motorola like a cellular. The business. phones, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But no, it's actually a plant that they have over there. It operates twenty four hours a day, seven mm. days a week. It wow. Shuts down twice a year for for maintenance. Uh, but I was part of the engineering rotational program. So in that program, you spent a year as one sort of engineer, which I was a production supervisor. Um, and then the second year, you, you rotate into a different position, and then the third year, a different position, and then you kind of find your, your bearings there within Motorola. Yeah. And I loved the job, but I, I did not like Texas. Yeah, yeah. How long did you stay at Motorola? About a year. About a year. And, and it was all at that location? Yeah. And was that an individual contributor role, or did you have any management responsibilities? No, I had 67 direct reports. Wow. Wow. Probably mostly all older than you, I imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was quite the experience. I can tell. I can imagine. So what were some of the leadership lessons you had during that period of time, that first job? You know, the biggest challenge I had there was taking 67 people from 67 different walks of life and yeah. 67 different issues and, and finding somehow some way for all of us to band together to get the job done. Mm. So, How'd you do that? A lot of team building, um, mm. a lot of team building. We used to have a lot of potluck lunches or actually dinners because we had a night shift. We would Our shift would go from 3, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. 
So uh, a lot of that, um, a lot of um, recognition, you know, recognizing the top performers. Uh, we used to always have uh, competitions internally where if you would come up with a way to improve a process or a system or make things more efficient, then you were rewarded. Maybe you could pick your, your, your position on the line. We had seven different manufacturing lines. We were making products for companies from John Deere, Mercury Marine, uh, you know, uh, Ford, GM, Chrysler. You know, th those are kind of some of their clients, Lojack Tracker. All kind of OEM work, right? You're making components for their various yeah. products. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, manufacturing. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like it kind of was tough to leave. It was just a function of that liking the area you were in. Is that right? Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, the, the living, because, you know, I worked from 3 to 11. I lived alone, you know, for a while. Eventually, um, you know, somebody moved in with me, but, you know, it was, it was, it was not fun. I did not have a fun time there. Yeah. yeah Coming from Miami, it was a big culture shock. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So what happened next? Where did you go in your career after uh, leaving Motorola? Did you come back for your master's then? or After Motorola, uh, I came back home to Miami and uh, I got a job with Alienware. Hmm. Um, I took a huge pay cut, but I had wow. a really, really cool job working with Alienware, uh, working with their product, uh, with their product group. Yeah, yeah. So Got I was it. in charge of their ALX line of computers, like their high-performance uh, desktop gaming line at the time. Sure. Right. And They're that, still around, right? I remember that name because my son, who's in his late 20s, is a huge gamer. And I remember thinking about that. Or did they get purchased by someone? Whatever happened to Alienware? Yeah, they got acquired by Dell. Okay, that's right. So were you there at that time or was that when they were still independent? I got I got fired from there right before they got acquired by Dell. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's that's uh that's a whole other story. Um <laughs> it, it it was it was an interesting an, an interesting situation there. I, I really enjoyed the people I worked with. I, I had a really great group of, uh, of of guys that I worked alongside with and I had a had some really great bosses. But uh there was some internal uh like uh internal things with the, how they manage the employees and everything that right, that i had right. issues with yeah so uh it was like a love hate thing and did you go on to your master's after that or what what uh when did you go back to school after that i did consulting for for a couple of years with other gaming companies and eventually i launched my my own company with a couple partners called mvs oh. pc and uh and we, what we would do is we would uh, personalize laptops. So if you wanted to, this was in the pre-sticker era. Right. We would actually break down the laptop and do like a high-performance custom automotive paint job. So oh. if you wanted your company logo or a picture of your kids, you know, whatever you wanted, we would do that. Awesome. Yeah, so I did that. And when, um, when I did that, I realized that I, know, I knew nothing about business. How old were you at the time of that first entrepreneurial venture? I was, it must've been like 21, 20, okay. early twenties. Yeah. yeah. Early twenties. And, and what was the motivation behind that? Were you kind of, you know, not really interested in the corporate world after your experience at alien and elsewhere, or, uh, did you just kind of see an opportunity, you know, what led you to that entrepreneurial decision? It was, I would say a combination of, of a few factors. First, you know, I have this burning image in my mind. One day my, my father, he must have sold like a, a piece of real estate or something. But one day he picks me up from school when I was a kid 
And he shows me this check for $250,000. <laughs> Good for him. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, uh, and your eyes bulged out of your head. What? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, man. And then, you know, you fast forward the timeline. All, all, my, all my youth, uh, he, told, he told me to get a career, carve out a career, get your education. Okay. So I did that. Worked for Motorola. Motorola did something terrible to me because during my, my first couple of weeks there, it was, you know, Motorola University. And they tell you, look, you're entering at this pay grade, and if you do well, and if you excel at your position, then you'll, you'll rise to this pay grade in this amount of time. So, you know, for me to get to a quarter million dollars, I had to be there. <laughs> for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're lucky. If right? I'm lucky. If lucky. Right, yeah. exactly. So, you know, that was bad for me. And then at Alienware. Bad or good? Right, better right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. better good. And then at Alienware, uh, you know, I, I took a huge pay grade. I think at Motorola I was making like uh, seventy thousand dollars, and then and that's a Which year. Which is not bad as a fresh grad. No, it's not bad at all. And, and the cost of living in Texas is yeah, lower. Exactly. Uh, but then you know, I came to Miami where the cost of living is higher, and I went to Alienware where I was making like thirty-seven thousand dollars. <laughs> oh goodness! Well. Which. You know, it was, I had had enough, man. Yeah, uh, that that yeah. was, that was what, what finally told me, you know, you got to start something for yourself. And you pretty much have been an entrepreneur ever since. Yeah. I didn't look back. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and so again, kind of getting back to some of those leadership uh, areas, you know, what, what did you think going in as an entrepreneur, you'd mentioned that you didn't know a lot of lap business and you had to probably learn, you know, in the street of hard knocks, so to speak, had some failures, I'm sure along the way, but you know, how did you kind of apply some of those leadership lessons or what maybe leadership lessons did you learn during those entrepreneurial years that have stuck with you up to your success now with shots? You, you know, Brent, now that you, now that you say that I have to, I have to say there's one more thing mm. that I have to add. And that was uh, of somebody that was super influential in my life. And, and that's a gentleman. His name is Doc Grantham. He's from, Vir uh, from Virginia. And Doc, uh, when I was starting Envious uh, PC, which is the laptop yeah. per personalization company, right. um, Doc was the one that really showed me all about branding, mm. um, you know, bookkeeping, uh, how to do financial forecasting, uh, you know, basics about marketing, certain, uh, you know, government agencies that can help you out, you know, that, that are there to help and stuff. Uh, so I, I really have to say that, that Doc also, he introduced me to a lot of uh, very sophisticated investors and me being so young and so inexperienced. Now that I look back at those moments, I can realize and appreciate and value what Doc was doing for me, you know, but, um, after getting my butt completely kicked <laughs> by all of his investor friends, I realized that I needed to further my education. That's when I, that's when I ultimately went back and got my MBA. Got it. So that was before um, the timeline again. What business were you in at the time that you went to get your MBA? That's when I got let go of uh, from Alienware. Oh, for Alienware. Okay, so it was right after Alienware. Good yeah, for you. So was, you did a, did you do a two-year full-time program? Was it an executive program? Yes, I did the, uh, the executive MBA and were you doing then some entrepreneurial things at that point in time, or or did you follow your parents' uh, suggestion and and only focus on your no. education and not work? <laughs> no, at that point, at that time, I was helping them. They had a business in Homestead called Re Revelation Marketplace. Okay, and it was like a hundred thousand square foot indoor kind of mini flea market type of thing. So while I was doing all of that, I was helping there and doing what I could there. 
How do you think your parents have influenced your leadership style? Oh God. Um, my mother is, uh, is very aggressive. I think that's the right word to define, to describe her. And my father, he's very strategic. Um, nice combination. Yeah. Each on their own, almost to their, to their demise, but together they make a a really good team. team, Yeah. 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 I I think I was able to pick up on both those traits and in a fairly equal manner. Now, did your mom grow up in Cuba, Cuba, and did she come, you know, in the in the sixties, or or was she here prior to or after the revolution? Uh, no, I believe she came after. Uh, I know that my uncle came first. My mother has like it's like five of them. Uh, so I know my the old the eldest, my uncle, he came first, and then he was also extremely entrepreneurial and and also very influential in my life. Uh, but one by one, he brought them over. Yeah. So refugees, basically escaping communism and, and the Castro regime, I would assume, yes. right? During that period of time, right? Yes. And, and what uh, was your motivations behind your dad uh, immigrating from Colombia? Um, my father also, he had a very large family in Colombia and they were, they were poor. Uh, so, you know, he always liked to study. So... One day, my, my grandfather basically told him, look, you know, you're old enough to work, so now you're going to leave school and you're going to start working. You're going to start bringing home money for the, for the family. And he wasn't having it. It kind of uh, <laughs> devastated him. Yeah. And he was very blessed to have an aunt that uh, brought him to the United States and put him in school and, you know, showed him the ropes over here. So he kind of came up as a teenager or somewhat that, that period of time in his life. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, you mentioned about your mom, your dad being more strategic. How did that play out in terms of their influence on your style? It was, it, it's very interesting to watch them at play. You know, um, one thing is to watch their results. The other thing is to watch the methodology that goes on behind the scenes of how they do their things. Uh, the interactions are very interesting. Uh, I, you know, I would say almost inefficient at times, but um, they have they have a, an interesting way of coming to the right conclusion. So, coming out of your MBA, uh, is that kind of when Shots was born, or or were there a few things between then and now? No, uh, Envious. I told you. Um, I told you we started Envious. Oh, that was after your MBA. Got yeah, okay. Envious was a, was a miserable failure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being so candid. Uh, all our listeners would love to hear that. Well, Most entrepreneurs go through that and, and frankly need to go through that, right? Absolutely. Um, well, rather than telling us why it failed, what were some of the lessons that you learned because of its failure? Uh, you know, not to... The, the biggest lesson I learned from Envious's failure is that you, you, you have to listen to your customer base. Mm, you can't, yes. your, your product offering, your service offering, it's not your own. It's not for people that you know or people that are like you. Uh, you know, you might, it might start off that way and you might right. see su- great success at the beginning, but over time and as your client base grows, you have to listen. I didn't listen. You kept trying to force the product that you thought they should have down their throat. Right, right. One of my partners was my cousin, and he said early on, he said, man, we should, we should do this with stickers. And I'm like, man, we need to focus on quality. You know, you're crazy. 
So he said, okay, we'll do it your way. And, you know, six months later, there's like five different sticker companies out there. <laughs> and they're putting you out of business. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. And then after Envious, what came next? Uh, after Envious, I, I tried to find a job for a little while because it was in the middle of the, of the recession. Oh, this is back 08, 09, that period. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, I, and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything at all. Uh, I got told I was overqualified, which is terrible to hear. <laughs> um, and uh, and at the time, I was doing side jobs at the at my parents' indoor uh, marketplace. So there was a big chunk of the store that was empty, and I said, "Well, you know, we should do something here. Nobody ever comes into this spot." And I had like. 20 something vending machines at the time spread out within the mall and and they did pretty good you know I was making pretty pretty good money for for what I needed you know for my needs at the time off the vending machines so I said what if we had some machines that made more money uh and as I as I started to put two and two together I ended up finding a, a gentleman that that was willing to partner with me and we put together like a like an indoor like, like a an adult uh entertainment center you know kind of looks like a casino but it's not a casino uh it kind of looks like a chuck e cheese for adults but it's not a chuck e cheese uh so it was games mostly or what was the it was games yeah it, we, we had games that would do uh you know kino and and certain slot simulations and things like that we had sweet wasn't games. gambling per se it was more gambling style do they play with points it was or? gambling style they play yeah, with points yeah. they redeem right, for right. merchandise get, get tickets and merchandise right, right at the time yeah. that was a gray area you know in the law yeah right so uh so it was fine but i did see uh companies like universal disney the seminal tribe of indians they were all getting together and hiring the same lot firms to represent them to bring down this industry. So, uh, you know, I was started to keep a list of, of, of ideas, you know, things I wanted to do. And, um, you know, number one on my list was shots, the, the, the bar concept. So now tell us a little bit about that. Why was that uh, uh, inspirational for you or, or you know, what, what was your passion around that? Well, f first of all, I, I absolutely fell in love with what I was doing in the in the game room. Uh, the customers were were extremely nice. You know, it was mostly uh, senior citizens w that were lonely. You know, they didn't right. really have Had a lot of time on their hands. Right. Yeah. You know, they they would go there to pass their time to to see their friends. It was more of a social experience. So mm -hmm. I really fell in love with the social aspect of that, and just kind of catering to people, making people feel good. Um, so I fell in love with hospitality. And uh, I have a partner now at Shots. His name is David. And he, show, he told me, you know, you should really come with me to Colombia and I want to show you this concept. Uh, I think it would do really well in the United States. So, uh, so we went. We went to Colombia and he showed me this bar over there and, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I thought it was a no-brainer. Uh, we got to work Tell on it Tell us about that concept. What, what did they do there? What was the, the, the premise and the concept of that uh, bar in Colombia? Well, this, this place in Colombia is called Chupitos. Uh, and w Chupitos is kind of like a slang in Spanish for saying shots. Okay. Um, right. And it's a fun concept. It's high energy. It's a, they're small spaces. 
you kind of pay at the cashier, you get your receipt, and you go over to the bartender, and he prepares a shot for you. Okay. Uh, and each shot has a clever name, and it has like a, a prop. You know, they might put a wig on you or hit you on the ah. head with a squeaky hammer, something like that. Ah. You know, but it's mostly low volume. Uh, it's, it's, it's small spaces. Not a lot of people fit in there. So we did see a lot of challenges that we had to kind of address Overcome. If, if we were going to bring it over to the States. Right. And so that's what you did. And that's absolutely what we did. Yeah. You know, so, we, so what is the concept as it is today? Explain it to us. So the concept now, it, we have over 120 signature shots. Mm. Uh, we also have signature cocktails. And we have also shared servings like the, our badass bucket, for example. <laughs> um, so we have prop areas. So if you want to use the props, you can go to a designated area, use the prop, take pictures with it. But, you know, right. you, you leave it there. And then we have some behind the bar interactions where the, the bartender might put a dunce hat on you or, uh, you know, cast a spell on your shot with a magic wand. Depending on what you order or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fun. And is there a, is the gaming part of it as well, or is it purely just a bar in that respect? No, no, it's just a bar. Uh, there's a dance floor, there's VIP, there's servers. Uh, we have, a we also have a kitchen. So we serve what we call shot spice. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, and the what, gaming five, gaming's five, illegal now. <laughs> that's right. Oh, of course. Yeah, because that, that got shut down. So yeah. five, six locations, how many now? No, we have two locations. Two locations. Yeah, one in Miami in the Wynwood area and one in downtown Orlando. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the Orlando. Great. And plans for expansion? Franchising. Everything's Franchise. all about franchising now. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Great. What, a, led you, what led you down that path to go the franchising versus, you know, owner-operated? Oh, well, I... <laughs> Personally, I, I love franchising, but um, as a group, uh, and it, it's three of us, it's three partners, it's David, uh, Jason, and myself, and Jason's really the brains behind the operations. Um, what, we've, what we always talked about from day one was that we wanted to grow the brand, you know, so we talked about whether doing operating partnerships or franchising, and we really like uh, the, what franchising does to protect the brand. Uh, operating partnerships, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, you know, you're a little bit more tied in with the with the investor or with the other owner. Whereas franchising, you know, the, the other person, they own it entirely. Uh, you know, they you, follow your process and right. pay, pay you a commission or franchising. Right. Yeah. And they know their market. Right. You know, right. we've and, learned and, so much about so many markets that we had no idea about. And are there franchising rolling out now or is that just still at nascent stages? We just started pushing it about five weeks ago. We Got have a, a seven-step sales process that takes about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, we have, I want to say, about seven really good candidates right now, uh, but they're still in the vetting process. And how many are on your team now uh, with regards to employed in your organization beyond your partners? Uh, in franchising or Yeah, well, I know the total, in total. Oh, it's about, I want to say, but it's about 70 of us now. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, how would you say kind of your leadership style has evolved, you know, from the days at Motorola with 67 people, interestingly, about the same that you have now in yeah. a much different capacity, uh, to, to what you do today? You know, what, it, what would you say is kind of your, your approach to, to developing people and managing and leading people? I lead by example, but once I place, once I set the example, I back off. Um, I delegate but I, I double check. Uh, so it's, I, I, it, it could, it could be kind of annoying, I guess, to my team, uh, at, at first, 
But once we work out uh, a good understanding of, of the expectations, I think it, it works out well for all of us. And uh, uh, do you have regular meetings? How do you kind of engage with, you know, the, the, the broader organization? I mean, is there a small executive suite, your partners and a couple of direct reports and then kind of everybody else? How, how are you organized? Well, we have weekly managers meetings um, in Miami and in Orlando. Um, I normally do not attend, uh, but I will attend from time to time. Uh, you know, those meetings, we try to get, we try to focus on our, our most extreme goals, our most extreme uh, things that are on the agenda. And then on the side, everybody kind of powwows and, and talks about how they, they have to work with each other. You know, there might be somebody in operations that needs something from, from the office, for example. You know, there's no reason why we should bog down our meeting with side talk. So we just focus on the real high-level things in the meetings. What needs to be done there, right. And then uh, ha- how is your executive suite structured? You've got your partners. Do you have like a you know, head of finance, head of sales, head of marketing, head of franchising? How many folks are kind of in your direct report, in your C-suite? Sure. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO. Um, my partner, David, he's the CFO. He's in charge of everything with finances. Jason's our COO on operations. Then we have Shayla. She's in charge of our marketing. Um, we have uh, Mike. He's our general manager in Miami. Chase, the general manager in Orlando. Yeah. And then we have Onelis. She's in charge of everything on the, on the back, back office. And your sister, of course, running the franchising. And my the sister's operation. our VP yeah. of franchising. Yeah. Now, did you work together before? You'd mentioned you were involved in another business. Was that back in Envision, or, or where did you two uh, previously work together, you and your sister? Uh, we worked together before at, uh, at the, um, the Revelation Marketplace in okay. Homestead. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, great. And how is that uh, in terms of kind of style and, um, you know, uh, relationship? You know, some, some families can work really well together. Others do have their challenges. What, what's, you know, tell us a little bit about that relationship. Uh, I would say it works really well, actually. Um, she understands where I'm coming from. She knows kind of uh, where my priorities are. And, and I, I know where hers are. And I think we have a good uh, working relationship in that respect, you know, she doesn't, um, she doesn't push me to my limits <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't push her to hers. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it works out well. We also, we've developed systems, right? So between us, we have documents that we can both, re- re- ref- um, I'm sorry, that we can both reference or refer to, uh, where I can see where she's at with everything and she can see any notes that I have. And we're always communicating also via, chat and text and stuff so yeah because the franchising is a big part of your of your future right i mean that's a that's what it's all about role yeah yeah absolutely so uh let's talk about you know kind of evaluating people and interviewing them you know what do you look for when you're making bets on people to invest in and and that could be either direct staff or maybe even some of the franchising people that you're talking to now what's important to you you know i'm a i'm a firm believer in in energy and in the universe and in things like that I kind of, step one for me is I, I document what I need. I'll put it down in, in, you know, in, in writing. I'll define exactly what I'm looking for. Then I'll start sending out my feelers. You know, I'll reach out to friends and family. 
I might, uh, you know, create a graphic or something that I'll use on, on social media kind of to help get the word out there, put up promoted posts and things and see what comes back. And then when I interview, uh, I kind of go off my gut feel, to be completely honest. I'll have my list of questions. I'll have my qualifications that, I, that I'm, I'm looking for. But um, ultimately, it's how I feel. So you kind of go with that gut, that cultural feel. How do they fit vis-a-vis a working style or working relationship with you? Yes. Yeah. What, what are some of the, your favorite interview questions? What are some of the things that you ask folks to, to get at that or to get at you know, what you're trying to find out about them? Well, I like, I like to know what moves them. You know, I'll ask them, hey, what, what moves you? What motivates you? What, what helped you get out of bed this morning? Um, you know, what's your reason for doing things? And what do you like to hear in response to that, that question? I like to feel passion. You know, if, 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 somebody, if somebody stutters on a question like that, it says a lot about it, that person. You know, I want to hear, you know, and, and I, and I want to I feel like it's honest. If somebody's passion is, is their children, you know, say that. Say that and let make sure that I can feel that. You know, passion is one of those things that we've heard so often in these podcast interviews that CEOs, you know, have about the business they're in, but also look for in others. So uh, that's a real common denominator. But what other types of characteristics or qualifications that you look for, you know, beyond the education and maybe their past experience, what's important in terms of working inside the culture of, of Shots? You know, at Shots, we're, we're a family. You know, I, I like to say... Uh, we're not friends, we're family. And sometimes you can scold your family. You can, you can ask your family for, for a little bit more. You, know, you, you might be able to, to get away with criticizing or critiquing your family or holding your family accountable. So I, I like to see people that, are, that, that, are, that believe in accountability, that can hold themselves accountable and that are responsible. Uh, if somebody tells me, you know, if, if I ask somebody, look, when can you start? Assuming we, you know, everything's okay. If they tell me, look, I, I need to put in my two weeks at this other place or something along those lines, that's admirable. That's respectable. It might not fall in line with my agenda, but I will definitely work around that. Mm. Yeah, I remember once uh, when I made a big career decision in moving from one uh, job to another, uh, had the same sort of a situation and I hadn't taken a vacation for a while. And I remember talking to my new manager about, you know, the responsibility I had at my work and needing some time off. And, you know, he said something to me that I've always remembered and I've always used with others. We measure our success by what we leave behind. And, you know, that's, uh, that integrity factor, that, uh, responsibilities you said for those things you've done before. Uh, terrific, Oscar. Well, w- one last question, and uh, we'll let you go today. But um, you know, obviously, we've got a lot of listeners who um, are would be, or could be, or want to be uh, entrepreneurs. Others that are looking at maybe getting into the corner office uh, through going up their career path. You know, w- what kind of career and life advice uh, would you give to folks, maybe that are early in their career, coming straight out of college, or you know, maybe they're in that early management, they, but they have ambitions to either start something on their own or or run a company. What you know, what are some some of the things and directionally that you would share with them about uh, their future? I, I would say first they need to frantically seek out and identify what they're passionate about and then figure out kind of how to make money with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important part, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, far, far too, too often we, we focus on what we believe is important. And, you know, round the corner, you've come to realize that yeah, maybe it wasn't that important or maybe something else was a little more important. But one thing you're going to hear from many, many people, and one thing that I think that we all come to realize in life is that passion and, and, and love of what you do is it comes before anything else. So true and well said. Oscar Zabata, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure getting to know your story. You're welcome. Thank you, Brent. It's been great. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 